0: Creative Babble, I'm Neil McTai, and I'm Javier Leva. And this is the Ponzi Playbook.
1: So Neil, we have been talking about this story for quite a long time. We've been teasing it on the show because we have this like amazing listener base in Australia. It's it's actually our largest audience segment, and we're like, wow, we need to do an Australian Ponzi scheme, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, the minute that we saw all those listeners in Australia, we were like, fans, we got to bring it to you, and well. You've got a lot of Ponzi schemes down in Australia, but this one that we're going to talk about today really stands out.
1: Yes, on February 2021, a foot just mysteriously washed up on shore. And I don't want to give it away, Neil, but this foot is such a big mystery throughout Australia. I mean, it really sets off this media frenzy, doesn't it?
0: It really does. And it was discovered by some folks who were doing cleanup on a beach about a little over 300 miles south of Sydney, Australia. They saw a shoe, and then they saw some seagulls started pecking at it. They didn't think that it was a human foot inside, but lo and behold, it was an actual human foot that had been decomposing. And they immediately called the police, and the next thing you know... Australia has been sizzling over this story for years. It just doesn't quit. It's created a media frenzy. There are a ton of outstanding podcasts, articles, and TV features on this story. We're not the first ones. We're not bringing it day one here, but we do want to talk about it. We love you down there in Australia. So, Javier, let's figure out why that foot ended up on the shore.
1: Yeah, so Neil, I have not listened to a lot of these podcasts, and and I've just read you know the articles, but now I'm all about it. I've watched the 60 Minutes Australia piece on it. It, it. There's a lot of good work that went into this, and I'm diving into this. But you know, my true crime brain lights up and says this is a homicide. I mean, that's what my initial reaction is, right? But the more we look into this, it starts looking like. There's a Ponzi scheme attached to it. And that's what we're going to get into today,
0: right? Exactly.
1: So, Neil, let's not give away too much too soon. So why don't we just get into it? Can you tell us about this story?
0: Absolutely. So we're going to be talking about Melissa Caddick. She was born in Sydney, Australia in 1971. And she went on to enroll in a business program in college and did very well. And after that, in the mid-1990s, took on a position in an investment firm just a small investment firm in Australia. She was pretty good. She was good at financial analysis, you know, sort of doing portfolio management, you know, relating with clients. She was a people person. She advanced in that role and eventually went into investment banking and then by 1998 in that investment bank it was discovered that she had stolen some money it wasn't a lot it was about 2000 bucks she was forging her boss's signature they gave her an ultimatum they said look just resign leave immediately we won't summon the police cuz it really they didn't want to put that out there in the news and potentially hurt themselves through bad pr or they were going to escalate the issue right So shortly after she left that firm, she was actually hired as a financial advisor for this company called Wise Financial Services, and she actually purchased a 25% stake in Wise Financial Services using borrowed funds, $750,000. By 2003, I mean, she was humming. She actually was featured on the cover of a trade magazine called Independent Financial Advisor. But Melissa Caddick actually fell out with Wise because the company refused to allow her to make certain recommendations regarding property interests and shares due to regulatory compliance issues. So it was being noticed by Wise, quite wisely, that Melissa Caddick was willing to skirt or at least play a foul with regulatory matters and rules Yeah. So now
1: Melissa Caddick has parted ways with Wise Financial Services, but her spending has not stopped. And even the people around her, her friends, her family, they started noticing that she's living this lavish lifestyle, but she technically doesn't have a job. But Melissa Caddick has a perfectly good explanation for this because she says, well, you know, she's still living off of some of the windfall payments that she received from Wise. She also has this $86 million severance package and this sexual harassment claim. So all this was some sort of justification for this crazy, lavish lifestyle that she was living.
0: And what do we actually know is that in reality, the only money she received from her separation with Wise was a return of that $750,000 investment. And she actually was also tied up in a non-compete agreement with WISE. So things weren't adding up and the suspicions that you just pointed to were actually quite valid.
1: So now Melissa Kadik has parted ways with WISE and she launches her own company. It's called Malibur Proprietary Limited, which is basically the equivalency of an LLC in Australia. Melissa Kadik is actually offering personalized financial planning services, except she is not licensed to give Just... financial advice. Is that right, Neil?
0: That is right, Javier. She was not licensed in Australia Just like here in the United States, you have to be registered to be able to provide that financial advice as in registered investment advisor. She wasn't, she was skirting the law once again. So just like at her former company where they were like, you're playing funny with the rules here again, she was showing that she didn't really care. And she said, I'm going to just provide financial advice and run my own company, screw it.
1: And you know, this is the part where it's hard to understand because she seems Obviously, she's worked in all these companies and she's been on the cover of magazines. She seems financially competent, right? So, like, it, it, to me, it seems like, why not just go ahead and, and and get licensed, you know, so you could run a legitimate business? But she doesn't. For 10 years, Melissa Kaddick operates this company without being licensed, but still portraying the social media appearance that she's running this successful business. She's showing off all these. Fancy houses and cars and vacations. And and so from the outside in it, it appears that Melissa Catech is, is, she's killing it.
0: And around 2010 through about 2016, right in that period, she was able to leverage social media to project that successful lifestyle, which in turn brought in more clients. Like a lot of these Ponzi right. schemers, they got to, they got to sell, sell, sell the image, the lifestyle, to build the trust. Sure. Javier, she was promising her clients substantial returns on all sorts of ventures. Red, for flag. example, <laughs> red flag, right? Real estate, commodities, even offshore funds and accounts. And like many Ponzi schemes, investors were receiving promised yeah. returns. So this only enhanced the credibility. It encouraged them to go out and pitch this great investment advisor to their friends and family. And what happens? They end up bringing in more clients. So from October 2012 through 2019, it's believed that Melissa Kadik brought in about 30 million Australian dollars. And these were primarily friends and family. And she deposited those into Javier, how many bank accounts? Because there are a lot of bank accounts. Tell our listeners.
1: Yeah, she deposited all this money into 37 different bank accounts. And what's so fascinating about this is that all that money, none of it was based on any legitimate financial investment. And as we know, it's all about to come crashing down. That's after the break. So Neil, right before the break, we established that Melissa Caddick had started this new company. It's an investment company providing financial advice to clients, even though she was not licensed to do so. But she was so successful. She brought in north of 30 million Australian dollars in investments. And things seem like they're going well for over a decade. But Eventually, the clients started experiencing delays getting their returns, and some clients were having trouble withdrawing from their investments. So uh, things were, were not going as planned, and things the, the wheels on the bus started falling apart, basically.
0: Yeah, they weren't going round and round anymore, that's for <laughs> sure.
1: But Melissa said, hey, hey, don't worry, don't worry, things are fine. She showed them financial statements, which she had forged, showing that, hey, everything's okay.
0: Yeah, it seems like we've heard this story before, right? Ponzi schemers start to have their Ponzi scheme fall apart, and they start lying even more and faking things and producing false statements, etc., etc., But the situation escalates because the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, which is the equivalent of the SEC here in the United States, well, they start receiving complaints, numerous complaints, in fact, about Cadic and her financial activities. But it wasn't just complaints. The Australian Securities and Investments Commission, you know what they did? They took it to court. They actually went ahead and got her assets frozen, and they had a court order even preventing her from leaving the country. So at this point, it was all crashing down. In fact, counsel for the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, Fareed Asaf, he said that, quote, as befitting a successful businesswoman, Caddick used the proceeds of her financial crimes to acquire all the trappings of wealth, end quote, and that her, quote, success was all of facade, and the financial services business was an elaborate front for Miss Caddick's, wait for it, Ponzi scheme. So at this point, Melissa is toast. She's been exposed. They're coming after her. So before we get into what happens next, can you walk our listeners through how Melissa spent all of those Australian dollars?
1: Melissa Caddick was living it up, and now she's, like you said, exposed. And that Gucci wedding dress and the luxury cars, like that $390,000 Audi or that $70,000 Mercedes and all the high-end jewelry and the $130,000 Stella necklace. And all this stuff she was paying with fraudulent investor proceeds, right?
0: And in fact, she even took $7 million Australian dollars and bought stock for herself. She bought a lavish Sydney residence valued at Australian $6.2 million. Not kidding. She even had a stake in a penthouse apartment located in Edgecliff, Australia. And that was for investment purposes, right? Just to reap a later return. But it was her own residence. It was not in the name of the company, or in the name of any particular investor. So she was just going to personally benefit from it. But it's not just fancy homes and fancy cars. It's also fancy clothing and fancy art. It takes a lot of money to pay for this stuff. So sometimes you turn to those who are closest to you, and maybe even some of the most important people in your life. Javier, who did she steal from?
1: Yeah, this is the part of the story that's really hard to believe. She even tapped into her own family. They invested in this fraudulent scheme. Even her parents invested $1 million Australian
0: dollars in this scheme. It's now November 11, 2020. And this story is about to really, really get crazy. Law enforcement officers, accompanied by Australian securities officials, execute a search warrant at Caddick's lavish residence. They actually confiscate extensive financial records, documents, and electronic devices wherein all the evidence is residing that proves her guilt. Melissa Caddick is going down, and it takes a dark, dark turn.
1: Yeah, just two days after law enforcement executed that search warrant, Melissa Caddick went missing. Her husband, Anthony Coletti, who was a hairstylist and DJ, reported her missing. Indicated that she just left that morning for an early morning jog, and she just never returned. And that is the point in the story where the media just goes nuts. Like the Ponzi scheme, you know that's what you and I geek out to. But now you have this like missing woman in Australia, and all eyes are on this case.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, her disappearance really does trigger this media frenzy, and there are speculations all over about what happened to her. Anthony Coletti actually didn't report her missing for 30 hours. He was attending a hearing, and he acted surprised that she wasn't there. You can't make this stuff up. And it's actually believed that Coletti was deleting or maybe even sending frantic like text messages from her phone, which she had left and not taken that morning. So his behavior was quite questionable on November 13th, 2020, and the day after. His behavior led to a lot of suspicion and wonder, did he have a part in her disappearance?
1: Yeah, and this is the the part in the investigation that when a wife usually goes missing or a spouse goes missing, they usually look at the other spouse as a suspect, right? That That's Detective 101. But you also have this financial component on top of that, that two days after they raid her house and they, they get the search warrant, she goes missing. I mean, she knows she's in trouble. So is she dead or is she running away or is she faking her death? I think that's what the world wanted to know. And, you know, later on... Detectives are looking at the closed circuit footage from her house, and they're watching her leave the house, and and they're treating this almost like a, a possible homicide, right?
0: That's true, because as you just stated, you know, she now has a lot of enemies. A lot of people gave her a lot of money and maybe wanted her to come clean, give the cash, but things could get really ugly and really dirty. And it wouldn't be a surprise if Melissa was kidnapped, being held hostage, or even murdered as a result of her actions.
1: But we can't have a homicide if we don't have a body, right? So this event took place in November 2020. That's when she went missing. But it wasn't until February 2021 when this mysterious foot uh, washes up on the shore of Australia. And of course, people discover it. They realize it's human remains. So here you have this foot. They test it for DNA. And authorities compared that DNA with that of Melissa Caddick's, and it was a match. This was her foot. But now the mystery deepens, right? Because you have this missing woman, she's missing for months, and her foot washes up ashore. But is she missing a foot or is she dead? Like, we still don't know that she's dead. So now the media attention gets even more intense.
0: And at this point... The criminal investigation and the charges, well, it just all stalled because here's this foot, and then it goes off to the coroner's office, and they're saying, well, can we figure out if she's dead or not, right? So they're not going to then expend all this time charging someone who they believe is possibly dead. Hmm. So that whole part of the story stalls. All these investors are out all this money. They don't know what's going on. A professional services firm is then hired called Grant Thornton, and they're to liquidate the assets of that company, Maliver, that she, you know, owned. And they also conduct an in-depth forensic examination of those financial records, and they sort of prove that she was running a Ponzi scheme, right? They see that the new investor money was coming in, it was paying back prior investors, she was spending it on herself. So it was then validated. And this is all out in public record because this is happening in the courts and the media is all over it because they're still wondering, was she murdered? Did she commit suicide? Was she tortured and you know kept hostage? What the heck is going on? So can we talk about some of those theories, Javier?
1: Yeah. So this foot washes up ashore, but does that mean that she's dead? I don't know. Some people think that maybe she cut off her foot. So the kid looked like she died and she got away with it, right? She faked her own death. Or some people think that maybe she committed suicide or maybe it was a murder and her husband, Coletti, had something to do with it.
0: Yeah, and that first theory just doesn't make a lot of sense because there was no way for her to know for sure that her foot was going to be discovered. I mean, it appeared 300 miles south. They discovered that the currents actually... Float in such a way from just south of Sydney to that discovery point, and that it's likely that, you know, it just decomposed in the water. I don't yeah. buy it either.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. like sending a message in a bottle, but not knowing who's going to receive the message. You know, it, it seems awfully elaborate. As far as... Her being murdered by her husband, I mean, what do you think, Neil?
0: I think there's some merit to that theory, but certainly there are some smart minds and great investigators, and they haven't brought charges against Anthony Coletti. We do know that he claims that his wife was killed. That's his theory, because evidently there were some cliffs that went off into the water about 1,500 feet from their house.
1: Yeah, is this theory that because she was involved in this financial scheme that maybe one of her investors got a hold of her and killed her?
0: I mean, is that what he's saying? I think that's what he's saying, and that's why he's also saying she's innocent, but that actually makes him look kind of culpable because he wants to paint this picture. Well, she's innocent, and the media is out to get her, and this is all false, and now she's dead, but you know what Coletti did? He evidently took a photo of a footprint found in a dog park not far from the cliffs the very morning that she disappeared, and that was prior to him reporting her missing. What the heck was he doing taking that photo?
1: Whatever happened, he's definitely very suspicious. I mean, I don't know where this case is going to land, but just the fact that he didn't report her missing, that creepy photo, the text messaging... All that just adds up to maybe he knows something that he's not telling authorities. But Neil, I want to know, like, what do you think? What do you think really happened?
0: I think she committed suicide. And I think Coletti knew in his heart when she was missing, even though he didn't report her missing, that she committed suicide. And he knew that she used to go on runs early in the morning. And he probably went out there looking for her foot. Prints and tracks, and she took a picture to see, did she get near the cliffs? And he found a footprint, thought that was hers, and he snapped a picture. He was panicked, he was stressed, he was worried. He also probably felt that he was in the crosshairs because he was a beneficiary. Did he know? Was he going to be exposed? Was his life completely ruined? And people act erratically. So I think that's what happened because. Her life was ruined at that point, and well, her foot washed up on the shore. Why? Because her body was decomposed. There are a lot of sharks in Australian waters. There are a lot of ways that her body would have decomposed in water for months and months. And the coroner's office even stated that it's not a surprise that some of her remains were intact inside of a shoe, because the shoe held it intact. It was tied It kept it together. And that kind of explains it. So that's my theory.
1: Yeah, Occam's razor usually says that the simplest explanation is probably what really happened. And I think in this case, you have a woman who orchestrated this financial scheme for years. The walls were closing in. I mean, she was running out of options. And this is terrible. I mean, this is like the second time we've reported on, you know, somebody taking their life because... A Ponzi scheme is designed to fail. It usually does. And when you reach that point where you have no other options, I think maybe what happened here was a suicide. I don't know if we'll ever know. I mean, I could see why this story has fascinated people all around the world because it is a mystery. Could you imagine Coletti, her husband, you know, she disappears and then all of a sudden her foot washes back ashore and brings it all back up again.
0: That certainly is haunting. And just like in the Rick Siski story and that suicide, Melissa Canik also had a large life insurance policy, which also raised some red flags about Coletti. But, you know, she just had a life insurance policy. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's any intent behind that. Right. It is a dark, it is a sinister story. People have searched for additional remains and it's possible that human remains like bones will be discovered. And if more remains are found, it might provide some clarity as to how and why she died. I think that this story needs clarity. I think that Australia might be enraptured by it, but the truth is, is that Melissa Caddick was also a mom. And it's quite sad to think that There are those connected parties like her parents and even her husband who, let's take it at face value, is innocent, presumably. So it's damaged a lot of people's lives and people want to get to the bottom of the story.
1: Yeah. So before we go, Neil, can you tell us what happened to all her finances, all those assets that were frozen? I mean, do her investors get paid? I mean, what happened there?
0: Yeah, that's what happens. Her assets are liquidated. Anthony Coletti fought over them. I mean, he fought over the Gucci dress, he fought over their Sydney estate, but eventually they were sold and they were sold for a lot of money. It didn't make up for the total amount of losses, but it's been years and it's still going on even into early 2023. This story is not finished. We're following it. We'll be sure to tweet out any updates at Ponzi Playbook on Twitter or X or whatever heck it's called these days. (laughs) And we hope our listeners will also tweet us anything that they might find. And if you're in Australia, please do us a favor, tweet this out, share your love. We in the United States love you Aussies, and we really appreciate you listening to the show.
1: All right, Neil. Well, this was definitely a fascinating episode. It's a kind of episode that you want to know more like we gave you the cliff notes version of it with more of a financial um, twist to it. But uh, I want to now listen to the liar liar podcast. They have not (laughs) endorsed us by the way, but it's such a fascinating case that I'm sure is chock full of details and police interviews. And there's so much more to the story that that we covered today. So Neil, before we go, why don't you tell us what we're going to talk about next time?
0: We're going to mix it up, Javier. I've got an interview lined up with one of the country's leading securities attorneys who is an expert in Ponzi schemes. I mean, this guy has worked some massive cases. He's well known and he's joining us on the Ponzi playbook. It's going to be incredible. Mm,
1: Our first interview. That's very cool. Yeah, every now and then we're, we're going to switch things up, right?
0: That's right. So we're excited to have this guest on and we'll uh, wait to share the name and details.
1: That's awesome. And Neil, before we go, do you want to give any parting financial advice?
0: I do have some parting advice. Whatever you do, don't start a Ponzi scheme.